scripture before we zoom in. Chapter 16 is very special. Every chapter is special. I can say that every chapter. But this chapter is very special in that what Luke does, the author, bird's eye view, we're going to see three conversions back to back. Boom, boom, boom. This is the first of three. This is like a, a one of three part message. Okay? Right now, we understand from chapter one, they will, you'll receive power and you'll be my witness and you'll go. You'll preach the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Maria, to the ends of the earth. Right? We see the gospel kind of just being unleashed, advancing. And through these mission teams, this particular mission team right now, Luke is zooming in on, and they get to Macedonia, they get to Philippi, and there's going to be three conversions we see right off the bat. Now, these three conversions are very neat in that you, I want us to see the diversity of the people that get saved. Lydia is a rich business Asian, rich Asian businesswoman, right? That's Lydia. The next conversion we're going to see is a poor Greek slave girl. And then the third conversion we're going to see is your middle-class blue-collar Roman jailer. Did Luke, I'm sure there was more people that got saved in Philippi than just these three. But was Luke, the author, trying to paint a picture for us? Was he trying to help us see something from the big picture that this gospel, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. This gospel is so relevant and powerful and real that it touches rich, poor, middle class, all. Young, old, local, foreign, everyone. I want us to see this big picture thing first because it's so important before we kind of go zoom in at Lydia's conversion, that the gospel has the power to save all people. I mean, look at us in this room. We're not all the same. We don't all have the same backgrounds, and we're not all from the same place. We're not all born and raised. I'm not born and raised, if you never know that. Morris pointed out last week, he said, oh, I never know you was not born and raised. He said it just like that, too. Uncle Morris was like, I never know. No, no, no. But um, I'm not, I was born in Cali. I was raised in Hawaii. But we're all very different. But... Just like these conversions, different people, different backgrounds, different statuses in society, but all saved from the same thing, the wrath of God that we all deserve on our sin, saved by the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and saved with the same message, same message, same message to the rich, same message to the poor, same message to the middle class. That's why for these three converts, their Christmas party that they're about to have later at Lydia's house, it's, it's, it's a wild picture. You're going to see a rich woman, businesswoman with a poor slave girl and a, a middle-class blue-collar jailer all at the same table eating. And it's like just imagining that. That's like a wild picture. You don't see stuff like that in the world. All different, saved by the same grace, united in the same person, Jesus Christ. This is called the church. It's beautiful. I love that we're not the same. And I love that we all came with our own different baggage. And I wonder if tonight, just before we kind of dive straight in, that big picture point will preach because I know in my own life, there are times when I'm tempted to think that person won't receive the gospel or that person could not be saved or that person, I don't know if I want to waste my time with that person. No, the gospel is for all people. And so if we have that kind of thinking in our mind, if there are people in our spheres of social life or influence or whatever, and, and you've already written them off in your mind, whether they're rich, 
poor, cool, or not, if they're breathing, the gospel's for them. That, I think for me, has been so convicting because I started to detect in my own heart prejudices and already preconceptions that I have towards individuals that I see a lot in my day-to-day, and it subconsciously caused me to hinder myself from sharing the gospel with them, as if I already know. But that's wrong. One of the greatest... Now, we're going to kind of go... We're we're taking bird's eye view. Now we're slowly coming down. We're going to descend. We're going to start to look at Lydia, but we're going to see three conversions back-to-back. So tonight we'll do Lydia. Next year we'll pick it up and do the slave girl, and then we'll do the jailer. We'll, we'll break up each conversion for a study. But I'm excited to be in a study on conversion. Oh, conversion. Conversion, conversion is so important. You need to know that word. You need to see it in the scriptures because we live in a time and a day where that is so confusing to people. People think they're sort of Christian or kind of Christian or I thought I'm saved. I said a prayer or I went to a camp or I hope I am. Or if I ask someone, hey, share your testimony, they don't even know what that means, but they've been in church for decades. That's a true story. When I first came to this church, I wanted to hear people's testimonies. And someone who's been in the church for a long time was like, I don't have a testimony. But you're a member of our church. See, conversion is so critical and so important. And one of the blessed privileges I think I have as a pastor is getting to hear the conversion stories of people. But what we're going to see as we look at this first conversion is that, and in every single conversion, is that it is a work of God and it always and only can only happen when there's clarity in the gospel of Christ and when the person believes and repents and, and, and follows. I mean, so I'm just excited to get into conversions um, And I love the diversity of all these different conversions. I think if we were to ask all three of them to come forward today and share their testimony, I would be tempted to say that we would listen to Lydia's testimony. And deep down, we wouldn't say it, but we'd think, that was boring. Because the slave girl one is like, okay, in in Keller's uh, manual for the missionaries, he he pointed out he was observing like um, Lydia's conversion was uh, expositional conversation. The, the, the slave girl was a dramatic exorcism. And then the jailer was like, he's crazy, exposed to crazy miracles. So if all three of them were to come forward and share their testimony, Lydia's might have sounded like this tonight. You know, I was, uh, I was in town and was down at the riverside trying to do, oh, we was in town for business. And I went down to the riverside for a small group with some of the ladies they're actually my slave girls, but I just told them you had to come with me. And, you know, we were down there at the river, and I just had this sense to want to, you know, worship God. And then there was this guest speaker in town. He kind of came down and started chatting with us. And, yeah, I heard the gospel believed. Praise him. And we'd all be like, hey. <laughs> and then the former slave girl who was demon-possessed would come up, and we'd be all like, oh, here we go. You know, we'd get all excited because we're going to hear this dramatic, like, I used to be, la, la. you know, and, and then, he casted it out, and da, da, da. And then the jailer would come up and be like, oh, I was in jail, and then the earthquake came, and da, da. And then it would be, we would all be like, oh. But tonight's when Lydia, we'd be tempted to be like, hmm. Something we need to understand about conversion is each and every one is supernaturally, miraculously awesome and powerful. Why? 
because it's a work of God. It's a dead person coming to life. I never want a church member to share their testimony and think that that was it. What? You were dead, and now you're alive. You didn't believe, and now you believe. So we're going to walk through this, and I don't want us to get bored by Lydia's conversion because it's crazy powerful. And the way the Lord uses her is crazy powerful. I don't know if you've thought about that about your testimony before. You know, I'm just, I just did, ah, just get to Christ and it gets good. All right. Let's pick it up. Verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, remained there in the city for some days. Just really quick, I want us to see this. Verse 10, it says, they heard from the Lord and they immediately, right? You got to remember, paint the, remember the context. They got all these nays, closed doors. Finally, possibly a green light. And then... They go immediately. We made a direct voyage. This is actually a nautical term, meaning it's the kind of language sailors would use because it, it's, it's trying to imply that the reason why we were able to go straight away on this voyage was the conditions was cherry. The winds was at our back. It was smooth sailing. Scholars even say it was amazing they got there in two days because later we'll see when they leave the round trip back, it takes five days. So you almost wonder if the green light was so obvious that God was even showing it in the conditions of the weather. It's like, you're going to go to Macedonia. They get their tickets. They're getting ready on the boat, and they're like, oh, my gosh, it's perfect for sailing right now. They get on the boat. They're going down. It's like, whoa, here we go. Straight directly to Samothrace, 150 miles in two days. And then it says the following day, they don't waste time. Notice it doesn't say they stayed a week. Where are they trying to go in a hurry? Macedonia. You, I want us to just see the earnestness in these boys. Let's go immediately. Boom, one day. Then we go from there to Philippi. And Philippi, it's the leading district. We got here, we're here, and they remain. I do think there is a, a noteworthiness in the earnestness that they have to get to Macedonia to preach the gospel. In Hawaii, we're more chill. I'm a more laid-back walker. I'm the kind of guy that drags my feet, my slippers, and I'm not a fast walker. These guys, I just want you to, they're focused. They're like, mm. I hope that my laid-backness in the way I walk doesn't translate into the way I evangelize. Like, think right now. Think tonight. Are you earnest in your evangelism? If God gave possibly an open door, would you jump at that? I confess there's a lot of times I'm slow at it. I know it gets in the way. Maybe I get become a coward. Maybe I, oh, are you sure that's an open door, Lord? Uh, maybe I'll talk to them later. These guys, let's go for it. 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. See, when you're a soldier of Christ, when you're an evangelist, you don't dilly-dally through this life. God gives you a shot, you take it, you go. Stay focused, Timothy. Don't get distracted. Chapter 4, preach the word, do the work of an evangelist. That's what these guys are doing right now. Just question your heart right now, and I'll do this myself. Do we pray for open doors, and when the doors are open, how earnest are we to take them? Like, really think. 
I was so gut-wrenched by this recently because I really think God gave me an open door this week. And for some reason, I just lacked the zeal. The Lord needed, and the Lord's dealing with me. Forgive us, Lord. That's not the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is in them right here, right now. They are zealous to get to Macedonia. Let's keep going. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. So Sabbath day, we talked about this in observation. This is customary. Usually when the evangelists or the missionaries would go town to town, they would look for a synagogue first. They would go to the synagogue because that's the, the place where they have a natural platform to speak the word. This place has none of that. But they saw something down at the riverside. Typically, they would build the synagogues outside the gate down by the river because it was just very convenient if they needed to do any kind of ceremonial cleansings or rituals. Judaism and non, just, just for religious people. Rome was a very, this is a Roman colony. They're very religious, very gods everywhere this. So that's why I think they kind of had these good educated guesses like that. What's going on down there by the river is probably a prayer meeting. Let's go check it out. So they went down, and they supposed it was a place of prayer. And when we, I like this, sat down and spoke. You got to love the practicalness in, this, in these missionaries. They had the eye to see something was going on down by the river. They went down to the river. They got a little closer. They saw, it says, women who'd come together. So this is not a synagogue. They don't have 10 Jewish men to even make it a proper synagogue. And it's just women. That's what a normal person that day would have said. I'm not going to go speak at that. It's just a few women. I love that they weren't like, hmm, let's just move on. This is not even a proper synagogue, and it's just a bunch of women. No. They engage them where they're at. In our evangelism, it'll do us well to be sensitive into where, what God's doing, but to meet people, to engage people where they're at. I love the willingness of these men to go down and sit with them and speak. Lego. It is a word of not just speaking, but preaching. Don't, don't think that they're down by the river talking about the river. Don't think that they were just down there to talk about the nice weather. No, we know already from enough scripture, they, they jumped on that boat, they got to Macedonia, they got to Philippi, they had one thing on their mind, preach the gospel. So when they engaged with these women, you best believe they were speaking of Jesus Christ. But, devotional thought, like really examine ourselves, where are we in this? Are we willing to engage with people and where they're at? Or are you not going to bring it up until they take one of your invitations to come to church? Will we, are we, not just equipped enough, but do we have the heart enough to make the first move? These guys are taking all the initiative. You know how powerful it is when you just engage a person first in a conversation? When you just are the first to say hi? Not just at church. It's very powerful at church. I mean, if you see someone that you don't know and you say hi first, it's a big thing. It's a big deal. But even out there in the world, 
You're walking down the street. You just make, hey, what's up? And you stop and you engage and you, you, you show an interest in who they are and where they're from and what's going on. How's your day? Oh, going good. Oh, you the kind from the weather. Yeah, you still dry. Yeah, me too, bro. Any, any, no, th- that shows a lot. This is the type of interactions I believe these guys, as they came into town, they were doing. Just asking the Lord, lead me, guide me, and then, okay, down by the river. Hey, maybe, there, maybe it's a prayer meeting. Maybe they're already interested in God and stuff. Let's just go check it out. And they go, they sit, and they're engaging. Where'd they learn that spirit from? That's Jesus, right? I think of Jesus at the well with the woman. Who spoke to who first? Jesus, of course. Hey, sis, you can get me a drink. That's how it's worded in the Greek. Hey, sis, you can get me a drink. She pulls it. Why are you asking me for a drink? Aren't you? You know, I'm a Samaritan. Hey, Zacchaeus, you like come, come down from the tree, bro. I like go eat with you today at the house. Yeah, you, Zacchaeus, let's go. Matthew chapter 9, he walks among the crowds. He sees, he sees people broken, helpless, harassed. He's moved with this compassion. And what does he do? He engages. It says he heals them, but if you study the Greek word heal, it's not just this miraculous whoosh. Jesus was bandaging wounds. He was getting on his knees, dirty, involved in people's lives. These boys learned this from Jesus. Praise God, he came from heaven to earth, right? He came to save us. He made the first move. We love because he first loved us. When a believer gets that, believes that, receives that, guess what happens? You and I, all of us, we're all initiators. We want to engage with the world. And we don't say, well, I'm just shy. I don't have the gift of evangelism. No, get the spirit of Christ in you. You may not be the best at it. I'm not the best at it. You may not be the best commuter. I'm not the best communicator. But what we have is so good, it's so rich, we got to engage. This is what's governing this mission team right now, and I think it's noteworthy to just bring into highlight in their evangelism, they're engaging people where they're at. So they meet this woman, verse 14, Lydia. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now, we observe this a lot in observation time, but let me just draw it all out to get a good picture of who this woman is. Uh, Megan mentioned she's not from there. She is from Thyatira, which is in Asia. She's possibly named after her homeland, Lydia. Some say that they think this might have been her business name, like the woman of Lydia. There was a lot of Lydias back in that day, so it could have been yes, no. But she's a native of Thuatira, and if you look at Revelations 2.18, you get this idea that this city was already very famous and known for their business with purple in the day. You know, that was a big big good that people wanted, royal people wanted. So we kind of get a better understanding of Lydia, this Asian woman, but she's a rich, wealthy businesswoman, a seller of purple goods. Luke wanted to note that. And she was a worshiper of God. She was God-fearing. There was a handful of those we saw already. I'll I'll repeat it for reference. Acts chapter 8, the eunuch, God-fearing, he went to worship, but he didn't know Jesus Christ. Cornelius, the centurion, God-fearing, they use that term, chapter 10, but he still wasn't a Christian yet. 
Meaning this, there was a lot of people in town that heard of the God of Israel. They heard of the one true God. And they knew enough to fear that God and want to worship that God. And it was genuine. There was nothing fake about Lydia's desire to worship God. This is a woman who was rich, business, Asian woman who genuinely wanted God. She was desiring God. And she was down at the river to pray. Possibly with her slave women for the purple goods. Possibly. Some suggest that she's probably a widow that's trying to continue on the family business. That's why they have a household. We don't know. It's speculation. But I want us to see that Lydia's faith in God was genuine, but it was still general. Romans 1 speaks of general revelation. It, you know, we, we see the invisible attributes of God and his eternal power and divine nature, and it's clearly perceived. Everyone, that's why when people, you'll come up to people, and they're genuine. They'll say, I believe in God. And it's true. They, they don't not believe in God. They believe in God, general. I don't know if it's the God that they made up or the God of the Bible or the God of, but they believe in a God or God. Lydia now believes in the God of Israel, you know, but that's still general, too general. But what she knows, she believes, and it's genuine, it's real. And I think that Hawaii, I think that the world is filled with people like this, filled with people who have a reverence for God, you know, Hawaii, I say Hawaii because I, th I, I do think a lot of local people, we have a reverence for deity. We have a respect for Keokua. You know, like there's a, there's a reverence of God. But what a lot of people don't know is the specific revelation of Christ. This is why Paul writes Romans and says you need a preacher, a teacher. You need someone to come down and sit with you and explain. It's why the eunuch was in the chariot and he was reading through Isaiah and he was so confused. Who's this talking about? And it says, Philip took from that passage and explained to him the things concerning Jesus. Lydia really longs to know God. And it's beautiful. And perhaps this is why God brought Paul and the boys. The vision, the dream, Macedonia wants help. There's people in Macedonia who are craving, craving to know Jesus Christ. And we need someone to tell them, Paul, I'm sorry, you can't go to Bithynia or Asia right now. you got to get, get to Macedonia right now. They're crying out, and they need to know. There's a spirit of desperation and longing in this town. Lydia's one of them. She's there to worship God. But what she lacks is, who is God? Who is he? Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 17. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not, obeyed the, not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Specific revelation. General revelation is not enough to save our souls. 
We need to hear the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul and them are there to do. So we see that her faith was genuine, but it was still general. Perhaps there's some in the house tonight. You've always longed for God. You've always never doubted that God was real in your life. But you have very general revelation of who God is. You need to truly hear and know specifically who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he has accomplished. And you need to trust that specifically, him specifically. Place your faith in him alone. And you've not truly come there yet. Please, 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 please. As we read on, pay attention. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. First thing, the Lord. The Lord opens her heart. Luke 24, 45 to 47. He said to them, Jesus speaking to the two disciples, these are my words that I spoke while I was with while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's talking about the Bible, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or opened, if you have the NIV. The eyes of your heart opened. Psalm 119, verse 18, the, the psalmist prays, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 through 6, when we proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sakes. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. He shined light in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Specific. Not general. If you're reading your Bible, if you're reading the law, and, and, and to you it's just a step ladder to righteousness. This is a, a self-help book. This is a way to be a better 2.0 me. Your heart is not open to the Bible. All of the Bible cover to cover, points us to Christ. It brings us to this saving grace that, no, the, the law is not a stepladder. The law is a magnifying glass to zoom in on you, to show you you are a sinner, and you need serious help, and you can't help yourself. I'm sorry. And he can't, she can't, they can't. No one can. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Why? I don't get it. Lydia had these conversations with Paul. Lydia, I'm so stoked that you're God free. You're here to pray. Do you know what you're praying to? You? But why? Why did he need to do that? He was paying. He was atoning for sins, Lydia. Your sins, my sins, Silas's, Timothy's, all of us here, everyone on this riverside. And Lydia, get this. He did die. And I don't know if you heard, but he's alive. What? Alive. He's risen. He's really risen, Lydia. Indeed. He lives today. He ascended. He's not here anymore. He's coming back, though. But he, he promises this. All who repent, trust in him, not yourself, him. You will, you will, you will receive eternal life. 
You will know when you die and you have to give an account before your maker. You're not going to say, I did this, I did that, or whatever. No, I trusted Christ, Christ alone. He's my robe of righteousness. Lydia, you're making purple garments. I'm in the business of helping people see that Jesus offers garments, robes of righteousness, Lydia, that are beautiful and perfect, and you can wear that right here, right now on this riverside. Are you serious? I'm serious. That's why God actually gave us his dream, told us to come here. No way, because I've been praying. I've just been, I, I wanted to worship God. I just didn't understand how this works. And now you're here? Yes. We don't know exactly how the conversation went, but I really believe it was something to that effect. Jesus Christ's specific revelation. And as he was sharing this, if you understand what I'm talking about, your heart was on fire. There's just this warmth, and it's not from what you ate for lunch. It's not the warm, fuzzy feelings you feel. with the. You're, you're just taken that Jesus Christ saved you. He purchased you with his blood. And there's an amazing, miraculous thing in conversion. When God allows the heart to see Jesus for who he is, and you just don't want anything else. Has the Lord opened your heart? Do you know Christ like that? When you read your Bible, does it bring you to this man? This is what we need to pray that happens. It's very possible to read your Bible, friends, and not have your hearts open. It's why we pray. The Pharisees in John 5, 24, uh, in 5, 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, or Jesus speaking, whoever hears my word and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. If you believe, if you hear and you believe, you have life. Verse 39 to 40, he says this to them. But you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think that by all your Bible study knowledge and works, you have life. It's they, it's this that bears witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. When your heart is open to the word of God, it brings you to Christ. It brings you to your knees. It brings you to true worship. Lydia now can truly worship the living God. She can sing the songs we sang tonight. Before that, she, she would have sat in here with the service and we would have been singing all this stuff about Jesus and the blood and the atonement and she'd just been like, eh? Do you feel like that in worship sometimes? We're singing some songs that Trevor picks out and you're like, huh? Pray for the Lord to open your heart to the scriptures because the songs he chooses, the songs we choose to sing all points us to Christ. Is your heart open? Like, do, like, like, really, ask yourself. Ask the Lord, do I see? It's a good prayer to pray. Lord, open my heart. Open my mind. Help me to pay attention. Be attentive. Give careful, careful attention and care. That's this Greek word. How attentive and devoted are you when you read your Bible? When you sit in a sermon? This is the word of God. I remember being at a park one day when I was just sitting and praying, and I just, I just kept saying to myself again and again, like, this is the word of God. Like, no, this is the word of God. Until it finally hit my heart where I was like, this is the word of God. I used to keep love letters 
from from admirers. This is the word of, you know, this is, you know, it's so precious, right? When you realize who it's written from. What kind of eyes do you look at your Bible with? It could be because your heart's not opened yet. If you lack affection for that book. I'm not into big books because I'm a brainy guy. I'm into these big books because I'm, oh, I'm romanced and wooed by the God of the universe. And he opened my heart to seeing it. Can't get enough. This is her conversion. Her heart is opened to the word. Those of us who are converts, you understand what I'm saying. Verse 15, it says, and after she was baptized. So when truly converted, you go public with your faith. I'll be brief on this, but baptism, it is a public proclamation of the gospel. Your faith in Christ, your commitment to the church. You can, I'll, I'll, I'll quote you verses to read it. If you're unfamiliar with baptism, read Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. That's the Lord King Jesus mandating it. Uh, Romans 6, 3 to 5, that's the symbolism of baptism. You are dead to your old life and resurrected into your new life. Um, Rome, uh, Matthew 10, 32 to 33, it's talking about uh, acknowledging God before men. It's going public. Like if you're truly a convert, you're not doing the Nicodemus thing anymore. You're a secret Christian. You go to Bible study, but you don't tell anybody. You blast the worship music in your car, but you turn it off when your friends get in. There's none of that anymore. When, when true conversion really begins to happen, you're just unashamed. She's getting baptized. She is. And if you are this evening a believer, you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins, you really believe that in your heart, get baptized. Some of, some of us here in this place are on that road right now. You're, you're studying baptism because that's the desire of your heart, and I'm excited for you. But baptism, I just want us to see this quickly and then we'll move on. It's followed always by true belief and true repentance. This is a believer's baptism. Lydia's is all the baptisms in the book of Acts is a believer's baptism. She heard the word now. She believed. And now she's getting baptized. And her household as well. When you're truly converted, you take your faith home. Now I say that because this household if it's following in the same rhythm as Cornelius' household conversion, which I believe it is, it's not the whole household was getting baptized out of tradition. Because mom, because Lydia got baptized, we all get baptized. No. This will assume and imply that Lydia went home and what? She shared. Well, you surely converted. Come on. This stuff hits home. You want your mom, dad, brother, sister, uncle, auntie, Cousins, 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 everyone you know to know, right? Who in here, born-again believer, does not want everyone in your, in your family to know Jesus? We all want that. That's a sign of a true convert right there. You take your faith home. It affects and it permeates itself through your whole life, and it starts with the people you're closest with. So I love, uh, one of the parts I love about just Kaleo's journey in his life is when he first became a believer, he just went ham at macaroni grill. And Christmas time around this time, he came up to me. He's like, oh, bada. Like, oh, that right? I got this idea, Christmas letter to my family. Uh, you know, like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, preach the gospel through a letter, sends it home, and just, just going, just, just, he brings it home. 
That's the, the natural fruit of a convert. And Lydia is doing that. It's beautiful. Again, when truly converted, you bring it home. It's not something that you leave at the camp or the conference or the church service. This goes with you. We're going to leave this place. It's going to go with you. That's what happens with Lydia. She was engaged by these earnest evangelists, and now who's the earnest evangelist? To close, she urged us. Such a cool picture, yeah? You can see Lydia. No, 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 no. Where are you going? Put, put your stuff down. She urged us, if you have judged me to be faithful to God, if you testify that I'm legit, you embrace me as a sister in, in the Lord, come to my house and stay. Isn't that cool? And she prevailed upon them. She shared her faith with her house, and now she's sharing her house with the brothers. What an amazing woman, right? She notices Paul and the boys are out of town. They, Come on, I got a big house. I'm a seller of purple goods. Easy. Let me bunk you. But when you're truly converted, you have, we have this love for one another. And it's inexplainable. It's just, it's just, mar it's beautiful. That's why I love, you know, when Tiara had to move and she had, like, I heard of choke, I heard of choke people at our church helping her with that move. You know? That's not forced. You know? Somebody's a ride. It's, it's, it's cool to hear people fight over who gets to take them home. It's just we have this love for each other. There's this hospitality. There's this desire to just be there for each other, you know? That's what happens in the heart of a convert. Where does this spirit come from, Jesus? You know, in closing, I think it's really neat in that we see Lydia's strong hospitality here. Uh, let me read you this verse in Romans 10, verse 9 to 13 talking about marks of a true believer. It says, love must be genuine. I think Lydia had that. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's affection. She urged us. She prevailed upon us. She was like, you need a place to stay. Oh, no, no, no need. Okay, I'm just wondering. Just wanted to throw it out there. She wasn't like that. She's like, do you, have, you need a place to stay? Tell me the truth. Where are you staying tonight? What did you eat? Did you even eat? Look, Timothy, look at you. Come here, right now. There's this sense of affection. It's not like a, you're some burden now. I guess I might as well take you guys in. You preach the gospel to me and I'm saved. No, there's like this real like, let me care for you. I'm, I'm urgent about this. That's, that's what he's talking about here. Affection. Do we have that? Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient, tribulation, constant in prayer. Now look at this. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. True signs of a true conversion is a repentant life. It's a life. It's a, it's, it's a lifestyle of hospitality. It's not just a moment. It's not just a profession. I said a prayer. I got baptized. Bing. No. Lydia is a new woman now coming from that riverside. It's neat, too, because Paul later in Philippians chapter 4, he commends the Philippian church. You can read it, verse 10 to 20, and he talks all about their incredible generosity and hospitality. And you got to wonder if Lydia, much of Lydia's example is what influenced that church to be so 
hospitable, and generous. And it started with this woman, Lydia. Every conversion is a wild adventure, and it's beautiful. All of us here in this place, all of you who are true converts to Christ Jesus, God has done a marvelous, amazing thing, and I'm just so blessed to be a part of it. I pray that as we continue to study through the next conversions, as we get into Christmas season, you would, you, all of us would really weigh these things on our heart, really assess yourself, examine yourself to see if Christ is in you. Confess any lack of earnestness, any, shoot, just any, any even lack of affection for the brothers. Maybe our, our, your knowledge of God is too general right now. You, need more sp- you, need, you really need to search the scriptures and ask questions. However the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding you this evening, draw near. We'll close. Last one of the year. All right. But um, I'll leave some space again for us to pray. Um, there was a number of points I, I, I threw out at us tonight, but just whichever one the Spirit is kind of impressing, bringing to light, just take some moments and, and really ask the Lord, do the work, God, open my heart and forgive me, change me, guide me, whatever it is that that prayer needs to be right now. Go ahead and do that and then we'll, We'll pray and be out. Father, thank you for your word. It is always so good. We thank you for the example of these missionaries, how inspiring and convicting at the same time, their earnestness to get the gospel out there, their willingness to follow your lead wherever you lead them. As we see them down by the river, ministering to these women, just in simple conversation. Oh, Lord, would you do that for some of us this week, that we might find ourselves in some divine appointments, sitting next to people that perhaps you've already been doing a work in their heart. They have this longing for you, and they need to hear the gospel. Help us to get outside ourselves and not think it has anything to do with us and just send it. For it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Don't let our flesh get in the way. Don't let us psych ourselves out. Don't let us prejudge and think that they won't hear it. Let us be faithful witnesses and just speak this beautiful message that has given us life. Would you save souls tonight and save souls this week had we not heard this word? Would you already prepare the way for some of our paths tonight and tomorrow? Would you please give us the faith 
to let you use us. We pray that you would continue to stir up a holy affection for one another, that our love for each other would be genuine, and that we would be hospitable to one another, continue to cultivate such a culture here at our church. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. It's really fun. It's really awesome. And I'm so thankful to be trekking the the journey of faith along with my brothers and sisters here and even online. And, And so, Lord, as we continue to go this week, keep these things fresh in our hearts and open our hearts again and again to your word. We want to hear you. We want to see you in the secret place, in the innermost parts, in the secret heart. Put your word where it belongs now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But why? Why did he need to do